0: Welcome to the Limitless Mindset Podcast. This podcast will teach you to acquire superhuman mental abilities and hack your reality. Hey, this is Jonathan and I have to begin this podcast by doing something that our listeners are getting Pretty used to, which is apologizing for the audio quality and the background noises you hear. Right now I'm actually on the border of France and Panama. Now those of you who have studied your geography a little bit might say well there's Portugal, Spain, in between France and Panama. So I should explain what I mean by that a little bit. I am staying in a historic part of Panama City, which is called Costco Viejo, and on Costco Viejo, there's a district where the French Embassy is located, so this is technically part of France that I'm on right now, and there is a really neat little courtyard that's in between the historic part of Panama City and the French Embassy, so I am, in fact, Recording this podcast from the border of France and Panama. Worldwide, Here yeah, we going worldwide, ladies fall in love with me. They gonna need a passport just to come and club with me. Shining all night, so I guess I'm on my globe status. All around the world, so the king is on my globe club. status. Shorty's bilingual, cause she like both girls and guys. I don't know another one. She understand my dollar signs Said we got chemistry So now I study abroad in the night In Barrett, France But show is where we start We Whoa. be loving forever. In this episode, we're going to be discussing memory systems. We're going to be discussing the different types of memory that you have in your head that modern science accepts, and we're also going to talk about association. And as a lot of you might know, and as you'll come to understand further and further as you continue to listen to the Limitless Mindset podcast, association is the baseline that memory is is the baseline that memory works upon so trained memory techniques actually date back quite a while there was a guy in 500 bc who's known as the father of trained memory systems and his name was Simonides, and Back then there were people that were professional orators, mostly Greeks and Romans. So these people's job were to orate things. They would orate law, they would orate stories, they would orate the histories of their countries, and it was actually a pretty important law. It was actually a pretty important job. For people of that time. And it was very important that these people were very accurate about what they were orating, because the orations were the primary way that information was shared. It was essentially kind of like the information medium of the day. So you think about nowadays, our information medium is, well, the internet first and foremost, and 10 years ago, 20 years ago, things like newspapers, television, etc. were the primary informational mediums. Back in Roman times, back in the times of Simon- Simon- Simonides, oration was the primary way that information was shared. So it was very important that these people had very trained memories and that they were pro- properly orating, which I don't do all the time it was very important that they were properly orating all the information that it was their job to express to the population. So these orators use something called the loci technique. And the loci technique is pretty simple. What they would do is they would pick out different places in their homes, but associate those different places to the different parts of they would form a mental association between the different places of their home and the different areas of the speeches and the orations that they would be giving. So their front door would be the first part of the speech. And then the entryway to their home would be the second part of their speech. And then the living room of their home would be the third part. And then the kitchens and the bedrooms and I'm not sure if they were a particularly good orator. They could probably afford a home that had a toilet in it. So maybe some of them had the opportunity to use toilets as loci as well. And that's where trained memory systems begin. So it would probably be a good idea on our journey to become limitless to practice the loci technique at some point. Next time you have some form of sequential information that you need to memorize, go and take the first thing that you need to memorize and associate it with the front door of your home in one way or another. So if I think about what I consider to be the front door of my home would, I suppose, be the elevator to my condo building in Denver. So let's say that I'm trying to remember the parts of the podcast that I'm giving you right now. So the very beginning of this podcast is talking about the loci technique. So what I would imagine is I would imagine the elevator in my condo building being like a super-powered locomotive elevator because loci, locomotive, in my mind I can associate those two things together. So if I were to use the loci technique to memorize the podcast content, that's how I would go about doing that. So as an exercise and as something interesting that you can tell your friends that you've tried, I would say next time you have to remember something, use the loci technique. And this falls on a essential memory principle which is that you can remember any new piece of information if it is associated to something that you already know. So going back to the loci technique, these people knew what the layouts of their homes were. Pretty much everyone, unless they've just very extremely recently moved into their home, is gonna know the layout of their homes. They're gonna have an idea of, okay, this door is here, this pantry way is there, This chair is here, and we can create associations with those things. We can create memory and information, data-filled landscapes, out of the physical places that we reside. So that's the loci technique. Kind of cool if you ask my opinion on it. I have an interesting quote from an ancient scroll that is regarded as being very authoritative the name of the scroll is Ad Adherinium, and this is from actually over 3,000 years ago. Now, nature herself teaches us what to do. When we see in everyday life things that are petty, ordinary, and banal, we generally fail to remember them. Because the mind is not being stirred by anything novel or marvelous. But if we see or hear something exceptionally base, dishonorable, unusual, great, unbelievable, or ridiculous, we are more likely to remember it for a long time. Accordingly, things immediate to our eye or ear we commonly forget. Incidents of our childhood we often remember best. Nor could this be so for any other reason than that ordinary things easily slip from the memory while the striking and the novel stay in the mind. So that's a pretty cool quote from 3,000 years ago in the book Ad Heranium and What they're talking about in there is a principle that is going to be very relevant to you developing a limitless memory, which is that as you're using trained memory systems to retain information and to retain information in a systematic way, it's very important, it's very important that you create visualizations and associations that are absurd, that are ridiculous in one way or another. So in our toolbox for creating visual associations, we have four different tools. And those tools are substitution, out of proportion, exaggeration, and action. Action, usually, I find, interestingly, in the form of either violence or sex. And I'll explain a little bit later on what I mean by those. So when we are creating a memory system to retain specific pieces of information, we want to create associations that are absurd using those four things. And if you can use all four of them, If you can only use one or two, that's fine as well. So again, they are substitution, out of proportion, exaggeration, and action. So I will give you an example of this. Let's say that we want to create a memory system to remember where we left our keys. Because people seem to lose their keys a lot, so it'd be pretty limitless if we could never lose our keys. Right. So this is what I would do. Let's say I was going to put my keys in a unusual location. I would go uh, like, let's say, for example, I'm going to put my keys on a table that has a small decorative tree growing on it. For example, let's say a Christmas tree, for example. And that's not a usual place. So I'm going to visualize that my keys are very big. I'm going to visualize that they are say three feet tall. And then I'm also going to visualize that my keys look like a, that my keys look like a Washington monument. Because the Washington Monument, uh, you know, it's supposed to represent a phalus, right? So I'm going to visualize that instead of instead of keys, I've got like Washington Monument style phaluses that are three inches, that are three feet long, that are on my key ring. and then I'm also going to imagine that my keys sitting on the table are bashing the tree, that they're like they're being rough with the tree. It's a pretty pretty crazy kind of uh, pretty crazy kind of visual isn't it? So in that visual, we have exaggeration because it's out of proportion. We have substitution because we're substituting the keys for the monuments. And then we have some violence. We have some action going on in it. And so if if we can force ourselves to visualize that, and it's kind of a funny visualization. I know you might feel a little bit odd, sometimes maybe even a little bit creepy making these kind of visualizations. You will be able to remember where your keys are. So, that's an example of how we are going to use these absurd visualizations. So, what's probably a good idea at this point is to practice making a couple of other visualizations. So, whenever we are dealing with words or things to remember that are abstract, what we have to do is create substitute words for them. So if there's something that represents an abstraction or a intangible meaning, then we have to go and visualize something that sounds like that word. So let's say something that would be intangible would be democracy, because democracy is a concept. Democracy is not represented by anything physical that we can Recognize. So if I were a foreign language student and I were trying to pick up some new vocabulary in English and I wanted to remember the word democracy, I would start by coming up with something that looks like what democracy sounds like. So I would say, I would say, damn, to me that kind of sounds like dumb, like unintelligent, "Ock." So I would, I would, oc to me sounds like ocular, sounds like ear, and then there's racey. So I imagine a race. So what I would imagine is I would think of cars that were in a race that were crashing into each other and they were racing around an ear and they're, they're dumb, they're dumb cars because they're crashing into each other. They're not doing very good in their race, but they are racing around an ear, which is the ocular and so once I have that absurd visualization put together I can that's that's my visualization for democracy. And what I could use also if I wanted to tie that back to the meaning of democracy I would say that you know in politics people are always complaining about politics they're always complaining that the politicians aren't doing a very good job at whatever their particular job is so I would think of the politicians as being the dumb race car drivers. And I know that sounds like, to someone that's English-speaking, that knows what democracy means, that sounds like I went through a bunch of unnecessary steps to, it sounds like I went through a bunch of these unnecessary, absurd steps to arrive at that visualization. However, if you are creating learning systems for remembering new things, it's actually important that that goes on, because those absurd steps that you go through to create that kind of visualization is going to force original awareness of the concept, of the name, of whatever it is that you're trying to create your memory system around. And it sounds kind of like a pain in the ass to go through those steps, however, the first couple times that you go through those steps it does take a little while takes a little bit longer it's a little bit of a inconvenience but as you continually do it you'll get better and better at it and you'll get to the point where you can come up with those kind of absurd visualizations of concepts very very quickly and it won't be such a problem again so again what we're trying to do is we're trying to create associations and we're trying to prompt original awareness of concepts, names, ideas, and the things that we want to build our memory system around. Some other words that I'd recommend you trying to create visualizations for now are Minnesota, Jonathan, and Mississippi. So these are all names and these are abstract names. So what I would recommend is I would recommend Taking those three things, Minnesota, Mississippi, and Jonathan, and visualizing things that sound like what those names sound like to you. And then go and create a visualization going on. And I'd recommend doing that right now. If you need a little bit of extra time, if it takes your creativity, just a little while to come up with those visualizations, pause the podcast now and go do that. One thing that is very important to hacking memory, along with maintaining a very healthy memory, is the state of your diet. That's right, what you eat has a lot to do with how your brain operates. And there's a very good reason behind this. Your brain actually consumes a full 20% of everything that you put in your body. And if you think about it, this makes a lot of sense because the brain is, as far as we know, the most powerful computational computer in the universe. And it takes a very specific blend of fats, acids, and proteins to run at maximum efficiency. Now a lot of people in America, a lot of people in the Western world, as well as in Europe, eat a diet that is pretty diametrically opposed to the kind of diet that our brains really need. Some of you might also be thinking, okay, I know that, you know, diet is important to keeping my mind really healthy. But isn't there a lot of good supplements that are on the market that I can take, that I can get the majority of what my brain needs in those supplements. I can take a shake, I can take pills, you know, whatever, spend a little bit of extra money, and then I can pretty much eat the way that I want. And to an extent, yes, that is correct. There are some supplements that are on the market that do a legitimate job that have been scientifically proven to improve your memory, improve the function of your mind. But your body absorbs nutrients in a holistic way, meaning that our bodies are engineered to consume food, consume products uh, that the natural world produces, and to convert those products into what our body needs. And if you think about the way that our bodies evolve and the way that ecosystems evolve being interdependent upon each other. This really makes a whole lot more sense. So I'm going to give you a couple of different food groups that if you're not eating from these food groups frequently right now, you're definitely going to want to increase your intake of them. So what you'll find is that your fruits and your vegetables And your fish groups are, in general, going to be the food groups that are going to be the very best for your memory. So talking about fruits and vegetables, the very best things to be putting in your body are blueberries, acai berries, and rosemary. These things are just all around really excellent for your mind. Blueberries and acai berries contain a really high amount of anthocyanin, which is very important to the neuroplasticity process occurring. Also, if you drink, and a lot of, a lot of people listening to this, I'm sure drink, you want to drink red wine because red wine contains really high amounts of the phytochemical anthocyanin as well. So it's kind of funny, actually, you know, everyone's probably told you since you were a little kid that drinking is, you know, bad for you and that it's, doesn't help your mind out at all. But actually, if you drink one or two glasses of red wine a day, that'll actually help keep your mind a little bit extra sharp. In general, with ra- in general with fruits and vegetables, your red fruits and vegetables, your blue fruits and vegetables, your purplish fruits and vegetables are going to be high in the phytochemicals that are important. Also, you're gonna find a lot of brain power elements in coffee and almonds. Now with coffee, coffee's an interesting thing because a lot of people order their coffee with a whole lot more than just coffee in it. A lot of people put all kinds of whipped cream and all kinds of extra additives and sugary stuff in there. And if you're drinking coffee in that way, it's going to end up being not very healthy for you. But if you're drinking your coffee straight, if you drink black coffee, it's actually very, very healthy for you as it contains uh, really high amounts of antioxidants. Almonds are also really really excellent for brain health. So I would recommend since they're so cheap and They're also delicious. I would recommend buying a bag or two of almonds every single time you go to the store and then Just eat them all day throughout the day and they're delicious and they're just really healthy for you in a number of different ways the meat group because a lot of us like meat i I wouldn't uh there's people out there that make the decision to remove meat from their life but i would never recommend you do that i would recommend that you do eat meat but the meat group that's really excellent for your mind is going to be fish those who are seeking a limitless mind and body fish is quite simply one of the best things you can consume in fact i believe in the movie limitless in that excellent scene where he's meeting the big shot investment banker for the very first time and they're meeting at a fancy restaurant. I believe they're actually eating fish in that scene. So a diet of fish should definitely be part of your recipe for grandeur. Omega-3 is a fatty acid that occurs in fish and it's a fatty acid that is actually very similar to the fat that your brain is composed of so as you can imagine it's important to have a real high intake of omega-3 so the fish varieties that are highest in omega-3 are tuna and wild salmon and if possible always get your fish uh from a wild caught from a wild caught place or from a organic farmer farm, uh fish farm What if you don't like fish? Because I know there are some people out there that just don't like the thought of eating something that was once a slimy creature swimming around in the sea. Make sure that you're taking an omega-3 supplement. And one of the things that's awesome about omega-3 is that it's real cheap. You can get about a month's supply of fairly high quality omega-3 for about 20 bucks at any grocery store. Okay, I'd like to talk now about the different types of memory that modern science recognizes. So in preparation for this, I read a scientific paper called Decisions and the Evolution of Memory, Multiple Systems, Multiple Functions. And what they described in this paper is that money, memory has evolved as a set of decision-making guidelines with three components. The decision rules uh, that guide the organism's behavior, the memory systems which store the data required by the decision rules, and search engines inside your mind that identify the routes to the stored information which is needed for specific rules for specific situations. So there are four types of memory. The first is procedural memory and procedural memory guides the processes we perform and most frequently resides below the level of conscious awareness. Procedural memory is therefore very important in human motor performance, playing handball or how to ride a bike. Procedural memory is storage of skills. So if you think about things like once you learn how to drive, you can almost drive without hardly even thinking about it. There's people that, you know, hang out and they're doing text messaging and they're doing they're carrying on all these different tasks while they're driving. And that's because they became so competent with driving that it goes into their procedural memory. The next is semantic memory. So semantic memory is memory of words and their meanings. Semantic memories sometimes exist without an experiential association. You'll remember what something means, but you won't remember where or when you learned what that means. Like for example, the word cat is a word that any person that speaks English knows. However, I'd be willing to bet that almost no one listening to this podcast could remember back to the day that they were a little child and someone told them what the name of a cat was because it was so long ago. And so that's what semantic memory is. Now, there are situations where maybe you were in school, maybe you were getting your college degree and you were learning specific vocabulary and specific concepts, and so in that case you could remember back to where you learned the meaning of it, and it's still considered semantic memory, but I just thought that was an interesting distinction to make. The next form of memory is episodic memory, and that is memory for personally experienced events. And so the psychologist who first proposed this idea, idea was Iredell Tolving for episodic memory. Tolving notes that the subject not only has the memory, but can remember something about the setting in which the memory has occurred. The next form of memory is working memory which has been defined as the system which actively holds the information in the mind to do verbal and nonverbal tasks such as reasoning and comprehension. So this is the deductive. I apologize about that. I'm traveling abroad, and I swear the quietest place that I could find in this country was this little park that has this really amazing view of the Pacific, actually, but people drive by here with their motorcycles from time to time so we got to we got to deal with the uh, the situation that we're in i'm actually getting rained on right now at the moment that's probably why there's not very many people out today is because it's raining so that's that's how committed i am to this podcast <laughs> working memory has been defined as the system which actively holds information in the mind to do verbal and nonverbal tasks such as reasoning and comprehension and to make it available for further information processing. Working memory tasks are those that require goal-oriented active monitoring or manipulation of information or behaviors in the face of interfering processes and distractions. So, working memory is what you're doing when anytime you're working towards a goal. You're putting together the other memories that you have in your mind and you are using your deductive faculties. So those are the four forms of memory that science, that science accepts. I hope this episode has been real educational for you as well as giving you some real actionable stuff. I know we've kind of gotten into the technical mechanical side of things with this episode which is what we promised we would do when we started this podcast but the major major takeaways from this episode are that when you're creating memory systems to remember things you want to create absurd visual associations and we gave you four tools for creating those those absurd visual associations and then the other major takeaway is diet and if you're an average american if you're like the majority of the people that listen to this podcast you're probably not eating a diet that is configured real specifically for your memory so some of you might be wondering okay so i want to eat my acai berries my blueberries i don't want to eat my fish is there is there anything else are there food preparation methods that are better than others, are there some foods out there that are really just terrible for my memory that I should be avoiding altogether, are there some other lifestyle things that I could be doing that would help with memory? And I'm going to make a little bit of a shameless pitch right now. On my website, I sell a book for the grand total of $17 that actually answers all of those questions. And it also has a mobile page that goes with it. So next time you're at the grocery store, if you sign up for this little program, like I said, it's $17 a year. Next time you're at the grocery store, if you've got your phone with you and you have access to the internet via your smartphone browser, iPhone, Android, Blackberry, any smartphone on the market that has a browser can access this page, and this page will give you a shopping list of exactly what you should be looking for. So that's a book that I sell on my website, it's $17. It also comes in audiobook format, so if you are unable to find the time to sit down and read the PDF, it doesn't take very long to read, but I know you guys are pretty busy It has audiobooks also, so you can listen to it while you are working out or commuting. So again, this is Jonathan Roseland. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it's been educational. It's been educational. It's been educational. It's been...